turn in our Bibles to hear from the Lord Himself. I'd invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 12 through 18. For those unfamiliar with their Bibles, that's the last book of the Bible. The first chapter of the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. This is the Apostle John writing. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you please Come by your Holy Spirit and reveal Jesus to us. Help us, Lord, wherever we are, whoever we are, help us by faith to gain a fresh sighting, a fresh glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ in his majesty, in his triumph, in his glory. Amen. Well, as we've come to this weekend, I thought that it would be good for us to think carefully together about the triumph of the one who was crucified on Good Friday evening. This book of Revelation was written a few decades after the events of the first Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday weekend. It was written by an eyewitness of the risen Christ, in fact, the very best friend that Jesus had while here on earth, the disciple whom he loved in a special friendship way, the Apostle John. At this point, Jesus has gone back to heaven and is now seen here in this vision in all of his majestic glory. He is brighter than the noonday Son. The imagery here is vivid, and it's not meant to weird anyone out, uh, but to create a powerful impression of brightness, of blazing majesty, of transcendent glory. This vision is intended to shake us loose from all the casual and cozy views of Jesus that we so often have. The image of Jesus that most of us 
have, I think, needs a major upgrade. It needs to be upgraded to the reality, to what he really looks like, what he really is dressed in, in terms of majesty and glory today. The vision that John had, uh, one, again, that was one of Jesus' earliest followers and best friends, the vision John had was so full of wonder and so full of glory that John who was once one of Jesus' closest followers on this occasion, is so overcome that he falls on his face as though dead. This is a striking, this is a stunning picture of Jesus as he is today. Now I want you to notice in verse 9 that John was on the island of Patmos, which was a Roman penal colony. You could say very accurately that John was in isolation lockdown at this point. He was banished to an island of Roman judgment. A kind of judicial quarantine had been imposed upon him. He had been exiled to Patmos, not because he was infected with some kind of of physical virus, but because the Roman authorities didn't want any more of their citizens infected with what you might call the Jesus virus, the virus which John was so deeply infected with. He was a definite carrier, and the Romans didn't like how many of their citizens were getting diseased by his faith a faith that was radicalizing people with a new allegiance, not radicalized to do violence, but radicalized to do good out of a supreme allegiance and devotion to Jesus as Lord. It was no longer Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And this was the message John and the other apostles were preaching, and it got them into trouble. Here, John is quarantined. Here, John is locked down. Here, John is banished to an island. And in verse 9, we read that his readers were partners in his tribulation, so they were experiencing similar troubles, similar trials, similar afflictions. And it's into this situation that King Jesus appears and gives this revelation both for John and for his partners in tribulation, and for all of us right to this very day. So what do people need when facing quarantine? What do people need when facing persecution? What do we need when facing suffering and tribulation and maybe even impending death? Well, here's a very good place to start. People need a new or a renewed vision of the triumphant Christ. People need a new or a renewed vision of the triumphant Christ. We, as people, need a new vision or a renewed vision of who Jesus is in His triumph and in His glory. In our text, Jesus tells us who He is, And then he tells us some of what he has accomplished for us. I love his self-introduction in verse 17. Look at it. Fear not, I am the first and the last. John, Jesus says, in case you're wondering who I am, this is who I am. I am the first and I am the last. 
Later on in chapter 22, Jesus introduces himself again, and that time with an even longer and more substantial series of claims. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega were like A and Z in our alphabet. And so Jesus is saying, I am the A and I am the Z. I am the first and I am the last. That means I am the source of all things and I am the consummation of all things. I am the beginning and the end. And by implication, as my father used to preach, Jesus is saying not only I am the beginning and the end, but I am all the middle in between. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then, having introduced himself in this stunning way, Jesus then goes on as the eternal God, the source and consummation of all things, the first and the last. He goes on to proclaim four history-altering facts. I died. I am alive. I hold the keys. And I'm coming back. I died. I am alive. I hold the keys. And I am coming back back. He begins in verse 18 by simply saying, I died, or I was dead. What does Jesus say to John and to us who at any point in our existence may face death or be afraid of death? Jesus says, I've been there and I've done that. I died. It's very important here that we not get this wrong. Jesus is not saying with this that he somehow or other momentarily was defeated. Jesus isn't hanging his head here in shame or defeat or embarrassment saying, yeah, I admit it, I died, Jesus, uh, Satan got me for a little bit there. No, this is, not, this is not some kind of admission of weakness or defeat. Rather, it's a, it's a proclamation of accomplishment, of triumph and of victory. You see, the death of Jesus was an accomplishment. It was the goal, it was indeed the very goal for which he came into the world in the first place. Look at the second part of verse 5 of this same chapter where it says, He freed us from our sins by His blood. Jesus accomplished something through His death. He achieved something, He accomplished something. He was victorious in His death dying in that through His blood, through His dying, He freed us from our sins. He freed us from the penalty of our sins and the power of our sins and eventually will free us from the presence of our sins. Over in chapter 5 and verse 9, in a vision that anticipates the future when all of the, the believers who are in heaven together with angels and all of the creatures of eternal glory will sing, You are worthy for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. Out of every tribe 
and language and people and nation. Jesus, you're the eternal Lamb of God, and with your blood, you ransomed people for God. With your blood, you paid the ransom price. You brought deliverance from those that were enslaved to sin and death and judgment. Your death, when you say, Jesus, I died, what you're saying is, I accomplished redemption. I accomplished the ransom. I paid the ransom to set my people free. Let me, let me put this plainly and simply enough for everyone to understand. This may be the first time that you have ever really heard the simple gospel or good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died to pay the ransom for our sins. See, we are born sinners. We are born guilty. I, I know that's not popular. That's not the way we think nowadays. We are a generation or two or three that has been raised to think nicely and highly of ourselves and to think in terms of guilt and to think in terms of sin. It's just not how our minds tend to work. But in our saner moments, in our better, more honest moments, we know that we are guilty of things. We have done things wrong, and each and every thing done wrong bears its own penalty, bears its own guilt before God, and we need to be redeemed. We need to be ransomed. Somebody needs to pay that penalty for our sins. We either must pay it ourselves or somebody else who is of infinite worth and value must volunteer to take our place. And that's what Good Friday is about. The eternal Son of God came and said, I'll take their place. I'll take their place. I'll take their place. I'll die for them. When Jesus said, I died he is saying, I accomplished the redemption of my people. I went to the cross, to use the old theological language, as a substitutionary atonement for sin. I died vicariously in the place of, in the stead of those who deserved to die. Jesus is saying, I died to ransom you. See, when Jesus says, I died, he wasn't getting the bad news out of the way so that he could get to the good news. No, he was, he was giving us some of the good news. He wasn't expressing some kind of humble admission of weakness or momentary defeat. He is saying, I did what I came to earth to do. It's not as if Good Friday was Jesus falling behind in the great cosmic struggle with evil and then resurrection Easter Sunday is the greatest come from behind victory of all time. No, Jesus was never behind. Everything went exactly according to plan. Calvary was not an accident. It was an accomplishment. The death of Jesus was not a tragedy but a triumph. The cross was not hell's cruel demonstration so much as hell's crushing defeat. The pierced 
hands and feet inside of Jesus were not wounds that led to a disappointing end. They were wounds that fulfilled and completed His intended aim. Jesus on the cross was not a victim. He was the victor. He was not a passive martyr. He was an active redeemer. He was not a helpless weakling. He was a holy warrior who came to take on sin and death and crush them beneath His feet. I died, Jesus said. And by implication, He means I died for you. I took your place. Jesus gave up His Spirit. Not because He was giving up, but simply because He was giving. He was paying the ultimate sacrifice for your sins and mine. Do you know that about Jesus? Are you sure of that about Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Do you believe this about Jesus? I know there are watchers and listeners here this afternoon who do not believe. They're not quite sure what they think about Jesus. and They're not quite sure they think they need Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need a substitutionary atonement for our sins. We all need somebody to take our place. And there is only one who is worthy. And His name is Jesus. Jesus starts by declaring, I died. But look at verse 18. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, And behold, I am alive forevermore. I died. Not a defeat. Not an accident. It was an accomplishment. That's why I came. I died. I really died. But behold, I am alive forevermore. I am alive forevermore. The the language that John writes in the original language speaks of, of ages upon ages upon ages. I am alive for countless ages. And notice that he begins this with the word behold, which is an an interesting word that's used some 30 times in the 22 chapters of Revelation. It's a word that, you know, it would be something like a preacher standing up and saying, now now watch this, now now, now listen, pay attention. It's it's a word that expresses a little bit of of joy and wonder and shock and, and surprise and Behold, 30 times in 22 chapters, as this revelation of the risen Christ is unfolded, the word behold is used. You kind of get the feeling that Jesus risen and alive is a behold kind of thing. It is a wondrous kind of thing. Behold, I am alive forevermore. I died, yes, but I'm alive. I died, yes, but I'm alive Forever. Indeed, he says just a little bit earlier, I am the living one. I am the one who lives. I am he that lives. This is not just a proclamation that he was alive, it is a declaration that he has life in himself. I am the living 
one. You and I can't say that. We can say we're alive. I can't say I am the living one. I am he who lives. Jesus says, I am he who lives. I have life in myself. And this life triumphs over death. I was dead. Now I'm alive. This triumph, this is the triumph of the crucified. It is the the greatest reversal in all of his history. God's cosmic negation of evil and death and hell. Jesus, the living one, defeated death because he has life in himself. And he is alive forevermore. In the words of Hebrews 7, he has the power of an indestructible life. This is the Christian King. This is our King. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. There is no end to His life. And you know what? He's willing to share. He's willing to share eternal life with us. In John 11 and verse 25, He says to His friend Martha at the funeral, so to speak, of her brother Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? And I want to ask you that question. Do you believe this? This one who says, I am the living one. I died, yes. But I'm alive forevermore. This one offers to share his eternal life with you. Romans 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The living one is willing to share. He is willing to say, come into the experience of eternity, of eternal life, of everlasting life with Me. I died But behold, I am alive forevermore. And I offer that life to you. Which bridges us to the third fact that Jesus proclaims. Not just I died, not just and behold, I am alive forevermore. But in verse 18, I have the keys of death and Hades. In other words, I have the keys that unlock death I have the keys that unlock the place of the dead and release people into everlasting life. Jesus is claiming exclusive authority, exclusive sovereignty over death. He is declaring that it is in His power alone to set people free from death. And He is saying, I have that power. He is saying, death is not the final and forever dungeon of darkness that so many of us might think it is or fear that it is. Jesus is saying, I am sovereign over the grave. I have the keys. 
You and I can't open that door. Not our efforts, not our strength, not our goodness, not our power, not our virtue, not our morality, not our commandment keeping. You and I don't have a single key that fits the lock of death to unlock it. Only Jesus has the keys. And He got those keys by pouring out His blood in death vicariously for you and me. He got those keys by His resurrection by which He shattered the the gates of hell and death and put death to death for all who believe. Those are the keys and He will exercise them. He will use them for any and all who believe in His Son. Jesus says, I died, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And then there's one further truth. Jesus proclaims here in Revelation, Jesus says, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. This is hinted at in verse 1 of this same chapter, Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him to show to His servants the things that must shortly take place. The revealing of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, as President of all presidents and ruler of all rulers. The revelation of His coming glory and honor and authority, it says, is going to shortly take place. It's going to happen soon. It's going to happen Soon, And I want you to see this emphatically. So flip over in your Bibles to the last chapter of Revelation. And please hear as I read the final chapter of sacred Scripture. And hear and see and behold Jesus. Revelation 22 and verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the city, of the, the street of the city. Also on either side of that river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Couldn't help but pause the healing of the nations. Oh, how we need the healing of the nations today. How we need it physically. As disease, death are everywhere. How we need it spiritually, morally, politically, in every way. Oh, how we need the healing of the nations. It will not happen in full until that final day when Jesus comes and makes all things right. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Then they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God 
Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And friends, that's for this church as well. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. And I can hear even from a distance all of God's people saying, Amen. Jesus says time and again, I am coming soon. Now, perhaps you're a bit skeptical, a bit of a cynic, and you're saying, well, that proves the Bible's wrong, Jesus' wrong, because He didn't come soon, did He? Well, the language Jesus uses actually could mean a couple of different things. It could mean I am coming suddenly and unexpectedly. I'm going to come quickly in an instant of time when you are not looking for it. Or it could simply be that the time is being measured from the perspective of God with whom one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as is one day. It may seem like a long time to us, but to God it is but a brief Time. You say, well, that sounds pretty weak. Well, we talk that way, don't we? Think Christmas time. As parents, how we talk to our kids. It's about December 1st, about a month before Christmas, and our kids are anxious. They want Christmas to get here. And you say to them something like, all right, child, 
It's coming. It's coming quick. It's almost here. And they're looking at you and they're saying, it's four weeks away. That's not almost here. You see, perspective affects it. We're looking at it and we're saying, oh, Lord, it's been a long, long time. Jesus is saying, I'm coming quickly. Hang in there. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming for you. I'm the one who died. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades, and I'm coming quickly for you. Be faithful. Persevere. Endure through it all. And I will walk with you, and I will be with you, and I will carry you all the way to the end because I am the living one, because I am alive forevermore. If you are a Christian, if you have come to personal faith in Jesus, let this Resurrection Sunday be a Sunday in which you remember with incredible joy that He is alive and He's alive forevermore. He's alive now. He is alive and active today. And remember, He's coming back. He's coming back. And if you've never, ever decided what to do with Jesus or putting that differently, if you've never been quite sure what you thought about Jesus, oh, how we hope and pray that this will be the moment for you where the light goes on, where the eyes of your faith are opened up and you're able to see that Jesus is alive and real, that He and He alone is King and Lord. He is Alpha and Omega. He is first and last. He is the beginning and the end. And He and He alone can satisfy your soul. And He and He alone will have the keys that can unlock the grave for you and welcome you into eternal joy in His presence forever and ever and ever. All you need to do right where you are is bow your head and your heart in prayer and ask King Jesus who is alive to make His life known and felt and powerful and transforming in your life. And if you do that in sincere faith, He will answer that prayer. And the resurrected one will raise you to life forever. Let's pray. Now come, Lord Jesus, in life-giving power and renewal to each one of us. Whether for the first time or for the 5,000th time, Lord, renew us and revive us, living Christ, by the power of Your Spirit. Give life to us, I pray. Amen.